Can I start this morning by reading you a story? Um, so if you're sitting comfortably, then I'll begin, as they say on the TV. <clears throat> um, accompanied by her fiancé, a woman went to the Hyatt Hotel in downtown Boston. Uh, she was uh, booking, or they were booking uh, their wedding. Uh, they ordered a meal, they poured over the menu, they made selections of china and silver, pointed to the pictures that they wanted, uh, the flower arrangements that they liked. Um, this couple had incredibly expensive tastes. After leaving a cheque for $7,500, which was only half the down payments, uh, they left uh, to c- go through the rest of their wedding uh, arrangements. However, the day the invitations were supposed to hit the mailbox, supposed to be delivered, um, the potential groom got cold feet and pulled out of the wedding. It's a big commitment. Why don't we think about this a little bit longer, he said. His fiancée was furious um, and returned to the Hyatt, the hotel, really smart hotel in downtown Boston, to cancel the wedding. Unfortunately, uh, the events manager, uh, although being really understanding, said to her, I'm really sorry, but... You, you won't get your payment back um, because it's past a certain date and, and we've got to cover our costs. And, and uh, she was devastated. You know, not only is, has her wedding been cancelled, but now she's lost £7,500, or her and her uh, ex-fiancé had. So she had a choice. He says, you've got two options, to forfeit that down payment or we could just throw the party anyway. Now, the thing about this lady was that she had been homeless uh, 10 years previously, and her life had turned around. Um, And so she thought, well, wouldn't it be fun to throw an enormous party? If I can't have a party for my celebration, my wedding day, why don't I throw a party for all those in Boston who would never get invited to such an event? So what she did is this. Uh, she invited every down and out, every, anyone who's homeless, she went to the hostels, uh, to the charities and said, look, I'm having a party. Would you like to come? Would you like to have a great, fee, a great, a great amount of food? And here's what happened. In June 1990, the Hyatt Hotel in downtown Boston hosted a party such as it had never seen before. The hostess changed the menu to boneless chicken in honour of the groom. Um, she said... And sent invitations to rescue missions and homeless shelters. That warm summer night, people who were used to peeling half-gnawed pizzas off the cardboard dined instead on chicken cordon bleu. Hyatt waiters in tuxedos served hors d'oeuvres to senior citizens propped up by crutches and aluminium walkers. Bag ladies, vagrants and addicts took one night off from the hard life on the sidewalks outside and instead sipped champagne, ate chocolate wedding cake and danced to big band melodies late into the night quite a party. You know, when Jesus came, he came to turn the values of the world upside down. The last will be first, and the first will be last. And my hope this morning is we will kind of be reminded once again, and more importantly, experience something of the upside down but amazing grace of God. Can I we pray together before we look at this passage? Father, as that story of uh, the party in the Hyatt Hotel in downtown Boston gives us a funny picture of something of your grace to us. That we are invited into the kingdom of heaven to a party that begins and never ends. That those of us who feel we are the least are the first. And Lord, this morning, would you remind us once again and would you pour out upon us and into our hearts your grace for us. Amen. 
the parable we read, we read this morning in Matthew 20 appears in, in the, uh, as part of Jesus' reply to a question that Peter asks in chapter 19. Peter says this, he says, Jesus, we've left everything to follow you, so what's in it for us? What's the reward we're going to get? What's going to be given to us? And Jesus says, well, there is a reward. In this life, there's a reward. It might not be measurable in pounds and pence, but there is a reward. But there's also a reward in the life to come. However, and Jesus kind of adds this caveat, the first will be last and the last will be first. And this little phrase, I think, sums up the whole kind of most of the teaching and the, and the stories that we find in chapters 19 and 20. I just want to have a really quick look at three other little stories that we find in chapter 19 and 20 to kind of set this parable in its context, if you like. The first is a passage that we know really well at St. Paul's. When Jesus, uh, the little children try to get to Jesus and the disciples stop them from getting there. In that society, children were literally to be not seen or not heard. You know, they were to be put away. They were small, vulnerable, weak, you know, often fending for themselves and whatever means that might be. They were definitely considered the last in society. They would be one of this group, the last. And Jesus says to the disciples, you've got it wrong. Let them come to me. These guys and girls who are normally last, they're to be first. The second one is the rich young ruler, which is the passage, the passage that precedes uh, the parable we look at. You know, the rich young ruler is a confident, self-assured young man. He thinks he's got it sorted. He approaches Jesus as teacher. He's teach, kind of almost putting himself on a level with him. He thinks, and he is pretty sure, that he's in because he's rich. He's successful. You know, in those days, that was a sign of being really blessed by God. So, of course, he'd be part of the kingdom, wouldn't he? You know, but in the end, Jesus kind of, as he's conversing with him, helps him to see that actually there's something in his life that clearly shows that he's not. Because even though outwardly he appears first, and maybe the rest of society put him in that category, actually he's last. He's not in. He's not there. He's, he's kind of walked away from it because he won't let go of his attachment to money. He's an example of the first being last. The third one I want to just briefly, quickly talk about is um, the story of James and John, which is found in after the parable we look at. Just after the parable, um, there's this encounter with them between Jesus and the mother of James and John. And she is trying to get her boys the best seats in the house. She wants them at the top table, uh, right next to Jesus. She wants her sons to rule and reign with him, which causes an uproar amongst the other disciples. Primarily, I think, because they didn't think of it first. You know, Jesus, he's got these disciples who are like, well, hang on, we're with you now. So clearly we are in the in crowd. We are definitely in. We're definitely the first. And so when they hear Jesus say, well, the first will be last and the last will be first. And, and then he repeats it again at the end of the parable. The last will be first and the first will be last, if you can follow me. Then they're thinking, well, we're definitely in the first. And I think Jesus is saying, well, hang on. Are you really? Because if you put yourself in that place, if you announce yourself as, as kind of being the ones that are at the top table, the kind of select crowd, the ones who are called in, which is what I think they'd thought. That's why I think Peter asked that question. That's why I think um, James and John had probably got their mum to go and do their dirty work for them. And I think Jesus sits them down and goes, you know, if you want to be... At the first, at the head of the table, you've got to become the last. You've got to become a servant. 
Because that's what I've come. The Son of Man hasn't come to kind of be, to rule and reign. He's come to serve and, and give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus turns the values of the world upside down. Grace turns the values of the world upside down. The first will be last, and the last will be first. So let's come to the parable that we just heard read to us. There are three things in that parable I'd just like to have a quick look at uh, now. The first is the role of the landowner and the employer. So at the start of the parable, you've got this landowner, the, the vineyard owner, if you like, and he goes to the marketplace... And he wants to find workers to hire. It's really clear, I think, when you read this story, that Jesus intends his audience, who were the disciples, he was talking to in response to Peter's question and to the disciples, and I think to to the religious teachers of the day, he wants them to see that this landowner, this vineyard owner, is God. It's, It's quite a simple kind of parallel. So when we read through this parable, we are looking to learn what is Jesus saying about who God is and what God is like. So the first thing is the landowner is obsessed with giving everyone a job. He's obsessed with finding people work. You know, it goes to the marketplace, and the marketplace was where you went if you needed work. Um, you know, many places around the world today, that's what happens. At the start of the day, there's a group of people there who are looking to get hired for a day's labor. Um, early in the morning, the marketplace will be full of people looking for a job. The best workers get hired first, those who are fittest and strongest and the employer, the vineyard owner, doesn't just stop with hiring the best of the best at the start. He keeps going back to the marketplace for more workers. Now, either he's a terrible manager and has absolutely no idea of the quantity of work in his vineyard, or he seems to have this kind of desperation to bring everyone into the vineyard. Now, as this is a parable, it probably isn't a social comment on how to manage your vineyard. That's my guess. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't think this parable has anything to do with good work practice. In fact, I think you would destroy your business quite quickly if you put it into practice. But it has everything to do with God's concern for those that others have rejected. In other words, it has everything to do with God's amazing grace. The landowner keeps going out to find more employees all throughout the day. More people that others have rejected. More workers who aren't even fit to do the job. More workers who are just hanging around, not taking any initiative. God's amazing grace extends to the disregarded. And I want to just focus in on that last group. That last group have got no work. There's an hour to go in the working day. You'd think they might have given up and gone home, but they're still sat in the marketplace. They really are the undesirables. Remember that no one would have got a job based on a CV or references. You know, it would have been done, particularly this manual labour, on physical appearance um, or reputation. And I think it's fair to say that this group neither looked up to the job physically, and maybe their reputation meant that they were excluded from getting a job. Perhaps they were dishonest or immoral. Perhaps they had fallen out of favour with others. But whatever was wrong, we can see that these people are the bottom of the pile. Maybe we relate to that category. Left out, excluded, fallen out of favour. Would any of those words apply to us? Maybe we do it to ourselves. Just don't think we're any good. Don't think that we could really amount to much. It's not even much point going home. We might as well just sit in the marketplace waiting and maybe half hoping that someone would notice You know, Jesus makes a point time and time again 
that he's not come to call the healthy, but sinners. He was constantly criticized for eating and drinking and spending time with those who the others, especially the religious Pharisees, wouldn't be seen dead with. Tax collectors, prostitutes, lepers, children, the sick, Samaritans, and more. Would we be criticized for being like the employer and and going out to find the undesirable? Would that be what people would level at us? Would they criticize us for spending too much time with people who no one else wants to spend time with? Or maybe we've become like the Pharisees and just kept everyone at an arm's length. We've got the best workers. We don't need to go back for anyone else. It's a challenge, isn't it? Have we lost sight of the grace of God for others? The second thing in the story are the wages. It's normal custom to pay the workers at the end of the day because they probably wouldn't stay there if they were paid early. It's just good practice. At the beginning of the day, the employer and the first workers, so the kind of the guys who are more likely to get hired, had agreed on their wages, which is one denarius. I'm not sure of the kind of monetary value, but I'm told it's a good wage for a day's work. It's something that people would have been happy to take. Um, They sign a contract or they agree that, uh, and the employer tells those he hires later that they will get paid what is right. He doesn't give them a monetary figure. He just says, that'll be, you'll get what is right. So at the end of the day, beginning with those who were hired last, he begins to pay the workers. And the workers he hired last for an hour's work get a denarius, a day's work, a day's wage. That's a lot of money for an hour's work. The workers who started first in the morning, I think would be getting quite excited. These guys get a denarius, what are we going to get? We've been here all day, the heat of the sun, you know, we've done the longest amount of work. Surely we're going to get, you know, five denarius, seven denarius, that's a week's wages. Goodness, we must be doing well. But they don't. They get exactly the same as everyone else. They get exactly the same as the guys that work for an hour. And their reaction, understandably, is pretty angry. They're furious. You know, and this is the first thing they say. And I don't know about you, but isn't it true that when we are angry, what comes out of our mouth maybe betrays what's in our heart. Does anyone else relate to that? What comes out of our mouth when we're angry betrays what's really in our heart. And in this moment of fury and anger, the foreman of the workers, if you like, the head, the shop steward, whoever you'd like to kind of put in that place, says this, you have made them equal to us. You have made them equal to us. And you know, this is what the grace of God does. It humbles the proud and lifts up the humble. The grace of God is offensive to those of us who think we're first. It calls, it brings out that kind of entitlement. I should be in. I should be getting rewarded for what I'm doing. You know, the workers are saying, we are superior people to them. I'm sure that none of us have ever put ourselves in that place. You know, we are better than they are. They've not been there as long as we have. We get work every day. Who are they that they would get paid the same as us? And so the, the, the employer calls them aside and speaks to them, and he just basically says, well, you signed a contract, and you've got a good day's wage. Why don't you go? If I decide to be more generous to these other people, that's up to me. The landowner has fulfilled his obligation to the letter, but he's also rewarded generously the others exactly the same. 
And he has displayed uncalled, uncalled for generosity, which is just basically amazing grace. The landowner can do what he likes. God can do what he likes. You know, and I think when Peter says, you know, what reward am I getting for being, being a hard, you know, long-serving Christian? Jesus says, you'll get a reward because, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm so pleased you're here. But, but don't make that, don't kind of let that cloud your judgment. Don't let that get in the way of realizing that the first will be last and the last will be first. I've come to invert uh, the world's values. The generous grace of God turns everything on its head because that's what is needed. So what for us today? I think firstly it is a challenge to change our hearts. It is an invitation for those of us needing grace to come into the kingdom. There are two things. The first is this. Jesus is speaking to the disciples when he tells this parable and therefore speaking to us. And he's speaking about the goodness and mercy of God, especially to the undeserving. The central core of this story is that amazing grace of God and his longing for all to receive it. God's generosity transcends all our human ideas of fairness because grace is unfair. Otherwise, we wouldn't receive it. We are undeserving of God's grace, but he loves to give it. He loves to give it generously, more than we can ask or imagine. And I wonder whether some of us this morning need to be reminded again that God offers us extravagant grace. Do we feel sinful? Do we feel unlovely, undeserving, unemployable, left out? God longs to give us once again his undeserved grace. The grace of God is for us. We would love to pray with you this morning if you need that fresh experience again of the grace of God. All are invited. All are invited because God's grace is inexhaustible and for all. The second is this, is that God's grace to the undeserving should be a cause of celebration and not jealousy. I wonder if you're like me, when I read this story, I always feel sorry for the workers who were hired first. I always feel sorry for them because I think, goodness, if I'd worked 12 hours a day, goodness, one day that might actually happen. Um, that, you know... The people that only work an hour, you know, get paid the same as me, I'd be pretty hacked off. I would. But maybe that challenges me and says, Chris, are you lacking grace? Are you lacking grace? Have you remembered what the grace of God means for you? Have I remembered what God has done for me? Or have I just thought, well, I'm in, so I don't need to think about that now. I just worry about my rights. What I get. You know, the bottom of the pile, if you like, those who have been left till last are the most obvious recipients of the grace of God. Jesus said time and time again that he came for the sinners, not the righteous. He demonstrated it by eating and drinking with those same sinners. You know, I feel the church as a whole, if you read the statistics, we are not known as a community of grace often enough. And I wonder if we would this morning dare to ask God to break our hearts uh, for those like the last workers who are waiting for someone to invite them to join in. Do you need grace this morning? There's more than enough for everyone. God wants to reveal his abundant grace, particularly to those of us who feel like we are undeserving in every way. Do you feel challenged like I do, that you just sympathize with those workers? You don't like it that God shows grace to others? Maybe we need to be challenged again. I just invite us to stand and we'll pray.
And Lord, I pray this morning that you would pour out your Holy Spirit upon us now. Spirit of the living God. Spirit of grace and truth. Come.